Welcome to The Exchange. I'm Dan Riley. The Exchange is a streaming internet talk show and podcast of interviews with noteworthy people about their lives, ideas, and current events. This week, I sit down with Dr. Anne Schreider. During our conversation, Anne talks about being born in East Germany, her family's experience under communism, life both before and after the fall of the wall, and the Stasi, the East German government's secret police. Welcome to the show. Today I'm sitting down with Anne Schreider, who was born in the GDR, which is the uh, former East German government. Uh, and Anne, first of all, I want to thank you for coming on the show and talking a little bit about your life. Uh, we were born in the same year. Uh, I was born in 1984 also, and I thought it was interesting that being born in that year and living in the system that you were born into, that was, it's a, it's a bit ironic, I guess, or somewhat interesting. Um, Tell me a little bit about first, I guess, the GDR generally. I mean, for Americans or people in the world that don't know much about it, give us your take on on the government, what it was like to be a citizen there, and then we can kind of take it from there. Okay, sure. Um, well, first of all, as you said, I was born in 84, so I was five, six when the wall came down. Mm. So um, all the memories I have are basically childhood memories. So I knew nothing about, you know, living in, in a system that has, um, you know, like Stasi ways to deal with people and... Um, I don't know, was, was, was generally different from, uh, from other countries in the world. So um, I only started to sort of reflect on, on my past and my childhood when I was older, when I was growing up in the, in the 90s probably, and also just, just a couple of years ago, um, when talking to my parents and grandparents and asking them about their experiences and, you know, you have all these kind of family stories and you know what was going on. And um, so when I was growing up, I didn't feel like I, I lived in a bad system or so. Like I had a great family and, you know, I had everything I needed. I went to kindergarten and I had friends and, you know, there. sometimes I, I sort of noticed that I couldn't have everything. There were these kind of intershops, they were called. And in these little shops, you could buy um, stuff from West Germany or the United States, like, you know, Western goods. And uh, you had like met these little matchbox cars. And um, I, I also remember, um, or the thing I remember most vividly is how it smelled in there. It was like a s special smell. And I really liked that. It smelled like a little soapy and, you know, like, like stuff you didn't know, or it was just, just um, interesting because also uh, when I was there with my parents, I knew you, um, the stuff you could buy there was expensive and, you know, it was like special. So that added to the experience. Right. Um, and then when the wall came down, I um, I didn't really know what was going on. You know, I just felt that all the adults were all excited and, you know, there must have been something interesting. <laughs> and um, but what I do remember is when we uh, went to, to West Germany for the first time. So um, I grew up in um, in a small city close to the Bavarian border. So actually, um it just took us like half an hour, 45 minutes to, to go to, to, to West Germany. And my parents back then had a Trabi. Um, you, you might have seen these kind of funny looking cars. <laughs> They're kind of cute, though. And um, so we went there. My brother was, was a baby. 
and um, the autobahn was was just crowded with people. That was just a couple of days after the, the wall came down. So um, we went to to Hof, which is the closest Bavarian city, and. Um, my parents told me that like some older woman on the street just gave them like 50 Deutschmarks because she said, oh, you know, like this poor family from the GDR with two little children. Oh, my God, I have to give them like money or so. And uh, that was so much money for my parents. It was insane. And then um, we went to a supermarket and my, my mom, um, she always tells us that they bought like lots of yogurt and of course bananas, right? <laughs> and stuff like that. And um, I think all the yogurt was sold out in this particular supermarket because all the East Germans were coming down to that to that city close to the border. And, you know, the people from there couldn't buy anything because it was all sold out. So that was funny. And um, then I remember that um, um, my parents, or as a family, you get like uh, money from the Western government as like welcome money. So yeah. I think each person got like a hundred Deutschmarks or something like that. So I we went to um, a toy store and I was allowed to pick something and I was totally overwhelmed. I remember that, you know, it was like a big, like kind of like a Toys R Us kind of thing. Like I just probably wasn't even that big, but for me, it was like huge. And um, so I was looking at all that stuff and I was so over overwhelmed that in the end, I just picked like a little Smurf figure because I, I certainly I could have had a, like a bigger kind of present, but that was just so, um, yeah, almost like sacred <laughs> that um, I didn't really think I could have that. So I picked a little Smurf, I still, I still have that Smurf. And then when we came home, I remember that we um, took out all the, the, the stuff we bought um, in the supermarket. And um, then we had like one yogurt, like a West yogurt. <laughs> and I think it was peach or something. So an unusual flavor for us. So we put that one um, yogurt in the middle of the table and everyone had like a spoon, and, you know, um, ate it. And I remember it tasted just wonderful. Maybe it was the... Um, you know, you have these um, taste enhancers or how's that called? You know, the, you know, these artificial flavors and stuff like that. Maybe it was that because that wasn't in, in um, put into uh, East German products. And um, then I remember that we had a rider, um, now Twix. <laughs> and I always had to share that with my brother, you know, because there were like two bars in it. And I thought, I remember that I thought to myself, you know, when I'm, when I'm grown up, then I eat a whole Twix alone, two bars. So I just remember like little stories like that. I, I sometimes, even when we went to the West and, you know, we had that little funny car, I sort of felt that we didn't have as much as the people over there. So um, they seemed to me like, or I sort of looked up to them because they seemed to be rich and, you know, and they had everything, they could buy everything. Um, but as a child, that doesn't really bother you that much. And only when I was older, I learned that um, my um, my parents were both uh, not totally politically correct. So um, my mom's dad um, used to be a, a minister um, or yeah, pastor, but for Lutheran, so not Catholic. Otherwise, my mom wouldn't exist. All right. Um, and um, so, of course, the, the church was more um, um, a target of the Stasi because it was also um, um, 
yeah, the, the first or the, the churches hosted um, the first um, civil rights movements because people were kind of safe there. So also the, the demonstrations um, that started in, in 89, um, they started from like church environments because they were kind of safe and people could meet up there. And um, so a lot of churches were involved in, in these, uh, in these um, yeah, in these transformational processes. Yeah, so that was basically what I remember, you know, from being a child mm -hmm. in the GDR. Yeah. You talked about sort of the, 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 the moment that this all happened in the wall came down being somewhat of a celebration. Did, could you feel that? Was that palpable that your family viewed the wall coming down as a generally positive thing? Or was there some people in your family disagreed with that sentiment? Mm -hmm. So in my family, a lot of people or most of them, um, they welcomed that. Um, because they had disadvantages. So my mom wasn't allowed to um, to study because she was the daughter, you know, of a religious sort of family, even though they didn't really live it out that much. Um, so it took her a while and a few steps to be allowed to, um, to study something and she couldn't pick it. So that was kind of hard. And uh, she also wasn't in the um, in the youth group. Um, called the uh, Jung Pioniere or the Pioniere, so like pioneers. And uh, that was the big youth organization. And basically everyone was in that organization. So she wasn't in there. So that was a problem. And uh, so they welcomed it. But of course, um, there are always two sides of it. Of course, people were so happy that all of a sudden, you know, they could buy things they wanted and um, they had more freedom. But for many people, this freedom was just too much. You know, they, if you live in a system um, for more than 40 years or so um, in which sort of everything is being done for you, like you don't have to, to worry about having a job. You don't have to worry that your child finds a kindergarten place and you don't have to worry about things like that. So all of a sudden you do have to worry about that. And for some people that was just too much. So um, and also, of course, you know, capitalism is also not <laughs> like the perfect uh, system and has its uh, disadvantages. And especially in the time after the wall came down, a lot of dodgy things were going on. You know, um, a lot of West companies came over and just sold um, like um, companies uh, from East Germany um, for almost no money. And, um, and I think the problem is, or a lot of East Germans still have that kind of problem, especially older ones, that they feel that they lived in the wrong system. You know, the media discourses and the societal discourses are all about, you know, the GDR was bad and, you know, your whole life was sort of bad because you lived there. And I even had someone asking, well, did you even have friendships and love relationships in the GDR? You know, it's, it's kind of like this weird kind of stereotype that you have about um, um, the GDR and basically it was just normal life of course with some restrictions but most of the people lived a rather normal life and um, yeah so there were good parts and bad parts generally my um, my family um, were better off um, my mom could keep her job because she's a pharmacist and you know pharmacies um, they are pretty stable. Um, my dad's a carpenter and he found another job quite easily. And we were just children. We went to school. I, 
Um, I started school in 1990, so it wasn't a big change for me that I had to change like school systems or something like that. So it went pretty smooth for me. Yeah. But other families had had problems like um, um, they lost their job. Um, they learned that their spouse, children, friends had spied on them. Um, they learned that um, capitalism was not like um, was not like so helpful or so great um, as they thought. Like they had that kind of kind of image of the West and of capitalism, and of course that wasn't just the case. So a lot of people sort of um, yeah struggled a lot. Mm. Yeah. You mentioned the the revelations that happened after the wall came down of potentially like close friends or lovers or um, people who were close to you potentially spying on you. Can you explain just a general synopsis of what what the Stasi is in your interpretation and what what is your family's reflection on on that system now looking back? Well, I'm not a historian, so I can just tell you my um, my general knowledge about it. Um, so this, this Stasi is an abbreviation for Staatssicherheit, which, which means like something like Homeland Security, actually. And um, it was an organization, a governmental organization, and um, they had quite a good network of, um, of, official, of official people um, who um, then built a network of unofficial members, like just normal people like me and you, um, who, um, um, how do I express it the best, who then sort of um, gave information back um, to the officials and uh, then they were sort of, you know, evaluating this information and do something with it. But in the first place, a lot of people um, were recruited um, to spy, let's say, they didn't, of course, they didn't say spy. They just said, well, tell us a little bit about, you know, your your colleague you work with and stuff like that. Or maybe also your husband. And often people mm, didn't really know that they were doing something bad. You know, they were just, you know, giving information and they didn't feel like it was a bad thing. Um, and often also the stars used other means and they said things like, um, well, I know you don't want to work for us, but um, you have a child and I'm sure this child wants to have a good education and, you know, go to university. So if you want that this happens, then you should work with us. So um, they were hijacking people basically. Yeah? And um, so my family um they learned that um the stasi um also observed them um and um after the wall came down you are allowed to apply to look into the the files um the stasi made for you and um this is just like a huge thing there were thousands and thousands of of, of files um, of course, some people were more interesting than others. And in some Stasi files, there's just really boring stuff like where you went and what you did. And it's not really valuable information. Um, but my parents learned that, you know, they had um, um, they had not really friends, but in church, you know, you sometimes have people you work with or you have um, 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 
people that you're just in contact with because you're like a public kind of person as a, as a minister. So they learned that a lot of people spied on them and um, sometimes they knew that there was some something dodgy with these people, but sometimes they didn't expect it at all. Um, but um, there wasn't that much valuable information for the Stasi, obviously, but for some people it ended in like um, being imprisoned, um, having to go to jail. There were quite a few big um, prisons in, in, in Germany. There's, for instance, Bautzen in, in Saxony or Hohenschönhausen in, um, in Berlin. And you can still, you can still go there. Uh, it's a museum. There are museums right now. So um, I think the idea of the Stasi was to, um, to control people because a lot of people wanted to go to the West. And um, I think what started as a genuinely um, genuinely sincere idea of like living um, socialism and you know living communism and doing a good thing. I mean a lot of um, the, the, the government officials they were fighting the Nazi regime and they were communists and they were imprisoned during the Nazi regime. So I think some of them they really wanted to do something good and start something new um, but it just didn't work. You know, it just didn't work because, yeah, communism is, of course, like an ideal system and it doesn't work maybe for a whole country. And also um, being so dependent on Russia was a big problem. For instance, um, the West um, that turned to the United States, um, they had a lot of advantages economically through the Marshall Plan. And, you know, they got supported a lot. They didn't have to pay a lot of reparation. But East Germany had to do that. So economically, from the start, they, you know, had a really, really bad sort of start kind of thing. And um, yeah, and yeah, it's 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 a really complicated system of economical or political social factors that intertwine here. And yeah. just as a brief historical background, and correct me if I'm incorrect about any yeah. of this, but. Uh, East Germany is basically the GDR was the result of divvying up Germany after World War II, yes. and the Soviets got a slice of Germany, and the mm -hmm. West got a slice, the other slice of Germany. Yeah, and that the East communism as an idea was sort of imposed upon it by the socialist by by the Soviet regime. Exactly, um, and that's sort of how it came about. So you're mentioning that some of the people would end up in jail. You know, mm -hmm. information would get to the Stasi and. I guess if if I'm understanding the whole system properly, the Sazi was a system that was designed to keep the power structure as it was yes. as it was designed mm -hmm. to be. Exactly. Um, so, who were the people that actually ended up in prison? Um, those were people who either tried uh, to um, to get um, into West Germany and were caught. Um, either they were shot or caught, and um, then you had to live with the consequences. So um, you either had to go to jail or uh, when you were younger, they were like 16 year olds, 17 year olds, 18 year olds who tried that. And they were put into special um, facilities where they had to work. And um, they often stayed there for almost 10 years. So it was really, really hard. And um, I think people who were 
quite um, openly against the regime, who tried to do something against it, um, they were put into prison because there was a lot of, um, of course, people were sort of making fun of um, the things they didn't have or they were like political jokes and stuff like that. But you always had to be careful to whom you you uh, you were talking to. Um, so it really depended on like how much you were involved in certain activities, political activities, um, and also um, on how much you were connected to, to the West. So of yeah. course they looked at people who had good connections to, to, to Western countries in general. Yeah. So, of course, you were more prone to, to mm -hmm. go to jail when you had this. If somebody were suspected of, be, of, I guess, breaking the law and violating the Stasi's will, was there any recourse? Was there any appeals process, a judicial system that would give them potentially the right to get out of whatever they were accused of being, being um, of, of having done? Mm -hmm. I think there were trials, like there was like a normal uh, justice system. Um, but of course it really depended on the judge and, you know, like how they built the case basically. Mm. So of course there was an official system, but often they used, um, inofficial methods. For instance, when you were put into jail, then often your family wasn't informed or, um, you had like day long or, um, quite exhausting, um, hearings. And um, they they used methods of like um, putting you in like a small cell and um, keeping you there for a month and then talking to you again. And if you weren't willing to talk, then they put you back in the cell. And I think um, so they used really harsh methods. And um, I think there was even a case like a couple of years ago um, people found out that a lot of former prisoners died of cancer after the wall came down or in, in these years. And it was basically because they were, um, um, they were put into cells where they put radiation on them and they didn't know that. And, um, then a lot of them had form different forms of cancer that are connected to, to this radiation. Um, so that was really like, this was the heart kind of part mm -hmm. and some people knew about it. Some people didn't know about it. So I think you have to distinguish or to have to separate between like the, the harsh political means and, um, the, the power structures in the GDR and, um, the people who were really against the system suffered there. But on the other hand, you had just like a normal kind of society that was, um, running parallel um, to these um, yeah, severe um, issues. Was the rest of society aware of the fact that if you do push back against the system, what the consequences could be? Or was that a, a secret that the government was able to conceal from the population at large? I think it was an open secret, sort of. Um, a lot of people sort of knew. And... Um, a lot of people didn't want to get involved or they just didn't care. They just lived their normal life. But for instance, my dad, he said um, um, he was also in the army because every every young man had to join the army for for two years. The NVA, the um, Nationale Volksarmee or, or National People's Army. And um, 
So he was um, stationed close to Berlin. So they put you as far away from your family as they could. So you couldn't go back and you had to stay there for two years. And he said, of course, you knew that um, there was um, um, that there was the possibility or even the um, um, what's it called in English? Um, that you sort of had to to shoot when you were a soldier and you saw someone fleeing, you had to shoot. Mm -hmm. So, and it was your right and you even had to do that. And that is why they always put like two people together so they could control each other basically. So if you didn't shoot or if you, you know, didn't do anything, then you could be reported yourself. So this is on the border. Yes, yeah. that was on the border. And, um, but in general, I, I mean, you knew that, People were approaching you or other people um, to become unofficial um, um, members of the, the, the Stasi or you heard about friends who were imprisoned or, you know, like um, you hear from people of people and so on. You know, the network, the network worked quite well because um, that was another um, part of, of East German society that um, you had to rely on a network. You had to rely on a network because it was necessary to get some things because um, you couldn't buy everything in a store or um, you couldn't just buy services. Um, you had to exchange a lot, like you exchanged services for, I don't know, getting um, getting something you need and that was rare. Um, so it was kind of paradox. On the one hand, you really relied on that system of relationships. And on the other hand, you never knew, you know, what was going on and who could say what. Um, so yeah, interesting kind of dynamics there. <laughs> well, going back to your point about the educational system, and it sounds like your mother may have dealt with this a little bit. It seemed almost maybe not all the citizens, but a lot of citizens in order to receive an education they were interested in, you would need to at least express your loyalty to the system at large. So I'm wondering in the legal system with lawyers and judges, is it possible for anybody to rise to that level of significance in society if they haven't explicitly given their allegiance to the Stasi? Um, I'm not sure if you have to give allegiance to the Stasi, but you had at least to be a member of the party. Mm. Um, so to sort of, you know, show that you're... Um, yeah, that you're a good citizen, basically. So I think people in those positions, they were always members of the party. And um, and it sort of depended on what kind of job you wanted later on. Um, of course, people were, or the educational system was preparing you for jobs that were needed. Mm. Um, engineers, doctors, stuff like that. So if you wanted to study and if you were smart enough, you probably ended up, in one of these uh, jobs but and when you wanted to be a teacher it really depended on the subject of course if you if you were teaching history that was something different than mathematics or so mm. um, so it really depended on that and um, but on the one hand you didn't have that much freedom but on the other hand um, for for a lot of people that was it was easier um, because you don't have to think so much. You don't have to think, oh, you know, what am I good at? And can I do this? You just say, oh, well, we need good engineers in the next 10 years. Um, please do that. And then you just did that. And you were also um, sure that you had a job, you know. 
um, everyone had a job in the system. Of course, it didn't work, but, you know, you had a job. And um, so people weren't really, um, yeah, they, I think they weren't so much um, worried um, about things like that, or they just sort of lived their life. Mm. And it was just the way it was because, you know, everyone around you did the same kind of thing. So there were only a few um, who questioned that system and you know those were the ones who uh, got in trouble <laughs> the uh, one of the most fascinating things i think about the whole system at, at large and we talked a little bit about this before we went on the air is is how quickly it just went away it seemed like there the system from books i've read and information i've received about the gdr at large people weren't expecting it to disappear in the late 80s i mean i think a lot of people in power thought this would go on for a long time from talking to your parents and your relatives, how did that happen so quickly? I mean, it seems like the Stasi at large had such a prevailing influence on the citizens. How how was it overturned in a matter of six months or a year or however long it took to, to do that? I think there were several factors um, involved here. So the first one or the big picture is, of course, that um, um, you had... Mikhail Gorbachev as uh, the Russian president. Mm -hmm. And that was so important because um, he was um, he was a reformer and he thought he needed to reform the Soviet Union, uh, including the GDR. And he established Glasnost and Perestroika and all these political prog programs um, that um, tried to communicate more with uh, uh, with the West and, you know, try to reform the system. And um, that was incredibly important because um, when you think back um, in 1953, people already tried to um, um, try to um, bring the system down, and there were um, there were protests, and it was violently um, crashed down by the uh, by Russia, basically by the uh, leaders of the Soviet Union. They sent tanks. Um, they shot people and, you know, kept it quiet because G the GDR was was basically the front line for them to, to the West. So they were very interested that things, you know, stayed smooth there. And um, so that was, I think, the most important part that you had uh, a, a leader, a Soviet Union leader who was OK with reforms. Right. And I think the um, the first um, demonstrations uh, in in uh, in the GDR they resulted from earlier attempts to reform the system. So it wasn't about like bringing the system down or ending the GDR. It was about reforming the GDR. So keeping the state but reform it, um, get more rights, you know, uh, change the the economic system, stuff like that. So that was the idea. And um, it went on and on, and um, the protests became louder and louder. And um, that was also, of course, recognized by um, the big Western um, um, countries, um, especially the U.S. with with um, with Reagan, and um, also with the former West German Chancellor Helmut Kohl. Um, but they were sort of just reacting, you know. I think the um, 
the um, the start was made by the people and by um, a more reform oriented um, government in the Soviet Union. And um, I think people were overwhelmed that it happened so quickly and that the whole system broke down. Um, and there's this very famous kind of scene, um, you can see it on documentaries all the time. Um, um, they had a press conference when, you know, all these protests were were, were going on and um, there were several people from the government and one of them, um, he received a question by a, by a West German journalist and he was asking, well, am I informed right that, you know, the, the, the border is open, like people can cross the border? And he was totally confused. He didn't know anything about that. And then he received a little note. And um, he read it and he said, well, it seems like the borders are open, but it wasn't a situation in which or that you thought, oh, he has the control and he n totally knows what's going on. And, you know, I think the government itself didn't really know what was going on. And then all of a sudden the um, the uh, the borders were indeed open and people were, you know, you have all these pictures with, you know, people dancing on the wall and going, yeah. Um, over the border, um, but it was also a highly um, dangerous situation because, of course, lots of these uh, the, the the border soldiers and stuff like people um, um, who were in charge of you know keeping the border closed, they didn't really know what was going on, and um, it could have been that they were so overwhelmed that they just you know used the their, their guns and stuff like that. So it was a highly kind of uh, kind of tricky situation there um but i think the willingness of people to change them something and those reforms started earlier in the 80s plus the 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 government um, of the soviet union i think they sort of had the main impact and then of course also the willingness of of the the western state to cooperate and stuff like that i think that led to the um to to the breakdown and i mean even to the fall of the whole iron curtain i mean it wasn't just the gdr it was like a whole kind of system involved in that yeah. last question i want to ask you is in relation to surveillance and we had talked about this also a little bit before i went on the air and i'm wondering how your family and how people in in east germany have reacted to information about the nsa program in the u.s mm -hmm. and uh, we were also talking about how while the Stasi may have had more actual informants in the population than the NSA does, the NSA in some ways has capabilities that the Stasi probably couldn't mm -hmm. have even dreamed of. Um, have you talked to your family about that? And what's, what is your um, understanding of the way that the East Germans have re responded to and view the sort of surveillance program that's really going on right now in the United States? Um my parents, they reacted with sort of sarcasm saying, well, we already know that, you know, it's yeah. nothing new to me, so we don't bother at all. <laughs> and um, I'm, I'm myself, I'm, um, I'm quite surprised that people don't um, react with more anger and surprise and, you know, um, of what, what is, what is happening here, because especially in the East, in the East, people know what that means basically. But I think it's, it's too abstract for some people, you know, and they always, I think the main argument is, well, I don't have nothing to hide, so I don't really care. And of course, uh, sometimes, or back then, uh, um, in the GDR regime, uh, people had nothing to hide, but, but still it was 
not right that they were um spied on and stuff like that um so i think or from what i know is that as long as people are not directly affected sort of um they don't really know what it means it's too abstract it's too big um it's like oh governments are involved and you know big companies are involved but what does that what does it mean for for me sitting in front of my my, my computer or using my cell phone i mean if you ask someone um in the street and um, well can i look through your cell phone um everyone would say no of course not but it's okay you know when the nsa does that <laughs> um but because it's so abstract and not so direct, I think people don't really have an idea of what it means, especially with the Stasi. A lot of people didn't know to what extent um, the Stasi was actually um, surveying people. That only um, was uncovered after the wall came down, right? So a lot of people sort of know that, you know, surveillance was going on, but they didn't know the extent of it. And... Um, I think right now I'm I'm really curious what's what, what's going to happen and how people react. There's only like a small community of people, usually computer nerds or people who who um, have a closer relationship to technology or sort of you know know what is going on, um, who um, who raise their voice and actually say something. But a lot of people they're so um, yeah so busy with their own lives they don't really care about it. it was basically like a little bit back in the GDR people were busy to I don't know get food get resources they needed and that were hard to get nowadays it's oh can I keep my job um you know I need to to, to, to make money and I need to uh, take care that my kids get a good education and stuff like that and they're so occupied with these little thoughts that um they don't maybe they don't have the um the resources or yeah the the insight to to be against it at least you know they say well maybe it's not right but you know nothing bad happens so i think that's the main problem and I, one one quick follow up to that i mean the same argument of well i have nothing to hide i mean i'm assuming that same argument probably would have been made by a lot of people in the gdr at the sure. time what would be the response to that that civil libertarians, people that are interested in preserving freedoms for the population at mm -hmm. large, what would be the reaction to that sort of, if, it, if someone from the, the GDR made that argument publicly and said, you know, the Stasi wasn't that bad or surveillance programs aren't that bad, I have nothing to hide. What's, what is the proper response or what is a response that someone might get in defense of mm -hmm. freedom, I guess? Well, I think the thing is that you're not just an individual living in a vacuum, a vacuum, right? So you're um, you rely on relationships, you rely on not only relationships to other people, but also to, I don't know, to companies, to organization. I mean, every single person is, um, um, is part of a bigger network. And even though you don't know right now that um, um, surveillance is affecting you in a bad way, um, you know, it will come back to you at some point. Um, maybe in a different way that you would have thought of or that you can imagine even, but it will, basically. And um, 
I think, yeah, that's the main argument that we're a global society and everything is sort of connected. And, you know, you are also connected to these things and, you know, saying that I have nothing to hide, that's fine. But, you know, you never know, like, what your neighbor has to hide or your company or, you know, the the party you vote for or the government you vote for in the country you live in. So um, I think it's a very it's sort of short sighted. And um, but I, I also think it's a result of people being sort of tired or more and more tired of politics. And um, that's a phenomenon that I can see in, in, in Europe as well, um, especially um, in the lower educated kind of kind of kind of sphere. And um, yeah, people sort of go back into privacy and, you know, try to do their stuff there and keep their their stuff together um but they forget that that's impossible nowadays yeah thank you so much for coming on the show thank you thanks for listening if you're interested in learning more about the exchange want to listen to episodes online or would like to reach out to the show feel free to visit the show's website at theexchangeshow.com 